Welcome back to Restless, where zany young adults gather to seek the face of Christ in today's mixed up world. Lauren's shaking her head because she doesn't like the fact that I said that we were zany. <laughs> no, I asked him if we could change the description of the show, and he told me he, you know, uses the word zany with pride. <laughs> I'm proud so, of you, zany. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it fits the rest of us, but... <laughs> Maybe not. She wants to be normal. <laughs> I think normal is a setting on a washing machine. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I am Father Joseph along with Lauren, and we have a new co-host with us. His name is Henry. Hello, everybody. Uh, yes, thank you. So, thank you so much, Father Joseph, for having me on once again. And yeah, very excited. This is my first time being on the Restless Podcast. Uh, so Tell can, us a little bit about yourself. Okay, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give a brief introduction of myself here. My name is Henry Henches. I am 23 years old, and I have lived in Stanford for a little bit over a year now. I moved here in August of 2021. Uh, I graduated from the University of Notre Dame in May of 2021 with a degree in mechanical engineering, uh, but I'm originally from Missouri. So I'm the oldest of four siblings. I have uh, two younger sisters and a younger brother, and I grew up on a um, on a beef cattle farm in mid-Missouri in the Ozarks. That's cool. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful way to grow up. Very thankful for so many of the experiences that I had growing up there and so many of the lessons I learned from uh, you know, from those experiences, from the things that my parents and my family taught me. So I think that, I think given my background, I think I will uh, hopefully have some good insight to share about animals and care for creation. Which is our topic for today, yeah. talking about pets and nature. But uh, first of all, how are you adjusting to city life here in Stanford? Uh, it's, there's things I definitely do enjoy about it. I enjoy being able to um, be close to downtown, be close to bars and restaurants and, uh, you know, have, have a lot of people my age around. But there are, there are parts of it that are difficult for me too. Like I, I really love the outdoors and I love having access to being outdoors easily. And so that's been something that's kind of hard for me. Like uh, <laughs> I, I, I often will uh, will just, will spend most of my time outdoors over the weekends. I'll, do, I'll go camping or hiking or um, or, nice. or just other adventures just to try to get my outdoor time. Well, you told me that today you took the day off from work to go uh, leaf peeping. Yeah. Which is a great Connecticut Typical thing to do. Yes, it was beautiful. Go up to upstate Connecticut. Have you ever been up to Kent Falls? No, I haven't. You got to go up there. You've never been to Kent Falls? No, I don't really leave Fairfield County. Oh my God. Oh, it's so beautiful up there. <laughs> Litchfield <laughs> County is gorgeous. That's my favorite part of Connecticut. I really like Litchfield County. Yeah, it's the upper upper northwest county of, uh, of Connecticut. And and uh, when they split the dioceses back in 1953, we were hoping to get Litchfield County along with Fairfield County in the Diocese of Bridgeport. But the Pope said no. Oh, Really? <laughs> Because so is, uh, is the Diocese of Bridgeport just Fairfield it County? It is just Fairfield County, right. just that one southwest little corner. It's a very densely populated county, though. Right. We have, I don't I, I can't even I think it's 600,000 people. Is it that? Is that 150, much? maybe? But it's got to be at least 50% Catholic, if not more. Yeah. Like very 400,000 Catholics around there. 400,000. Yes. That's, that's actually really big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Considering there's only 400,000 people in the entire state of Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. Maybe less. Yeah, more or less, yeah. That's awesome. So let's so let's get into that topic of pets and nature. You know, since uh, it is October, where when we're recording this and kind of peak of nature season, did you guys have pets growing up? I mean, you lived on a cattle farm, so I don't know. if you <laughs> those your pets? Yeah, we always had a lot of animals around growing up. We, uh, I think, we had on average somewhere between eighty and hundred cattle the whole time I was growing up. So lots of cows. Um, we always had pigs too. We always had chickens. 
both the hens for laying eggs and also we would raise different batches of, uh, of chickens for harvesting for meat. So mm. we'd raise meat chickens. So your and cattle, were they steer, steer or were they milk, milk cows? We did it. We, uh, we raised them for beef. We didn't, we never raised any dairy cows. Okay. So yeah, we would, uh, yeah, we would raise calves every year and then we would uh, feed them out and then sell them at market. And then we would keep a few and, and uh, harvest those ourselves and our family would eat those. Nice. So yeah, lots of great food growing up too. Do you have a pet now that you're in Stanford? I don't know. I, uh, that's one thing I really like to do, like to have is, but unfortunately in my, in my living situation now, my landlord does not allow pets and I'd love to have a cat, oh, but one bad. of my roommates is allergic to cats. So also too bad. I know it's a, it's a double whammy, but, um, that's, yeah. yeah, definitely at some point in the future, I'd love to have some pets, but yeah, we always had probably on average three or four dogs growing up too. Mm. And right now in the, in our barn, well, my, my parents in their barn, they have like 17 cats, I think. Oh man, they're because uh, but they're, they're functional. I'm sure. Yeah, they they live in the barn and, they, and they, they catch mice. And it's kind of funny because our our family has a reputation of being an animal loving family. So people from the area would just leave stray cats on our farm because <laughs> they knew that we would take care of them. And then my dad, you know, of course, took them into the barn and uh, gave them a place to sleep and would feed them daily. And then they just reproduce exponentially. Yeah, they do. I'm sure. So, yeah. So lots of lots of cats around too. That's awesome. Well, I have to ask, what is it like to eat? beef from a cow that you knew? That's a good question. I, uh, what I always tell people is that it, it makes you appreciate more, uh, the nourishment that you put into your body because it's, because you actually see the input that goes into, uh, you know, breeding and taking care of the cow as it gives birth and then raising that calf from, from birth, uh, you know, providing for all of its material needs, uh, taking care of it when it's sick. And then eventually you get to the point where, uh, you do, take that life that you have been nurturing and you, uh, you take that life and you, you use it to sustain your own life and to sustain the life of your family. So it is kind of a, kind of a sobering experience to, you know, to, to be involved in this being's life and then to take it at the same time. It, it makes you feel very, uh, responsible for the life with which you've been entrusted and it makes you feel connected to the entire process too. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you, Lauren? Did you have pets? Uh, we had one cat growing up that we got when I was eight, only because my mom's coworker had a litter of kittens at home, and they all went like right away. And then she said to my mom, "If my cat gets pregnant again, you'll get first pick." <laughs> and then that happened. So the next litter came, and she went around. Chris Doyle gets first pick. So my mom was like, "Well, first pick, you know, because otherwise <laughs> I don't think my parents would have gotten us a pet." And um, it was like one photo and some of the cats are like scratching, you know, up in the air and whatever, um, the scratching post thing. And then there was this little one on the side and she picked that and the lady said, oh, that's the runt of the litter. My mom said, perfect. So we had Misty. She was a seven pound cat. That was my only pet. I was obsessed with her. My AOL messenger, anyone that did that AIM screen name was oh Misty Mahler, 23. Oh my gosh, AIM. <laughs> That's a blast yeah. from the late 90s, early uh, yeah. 2000s. I, yeah, I was obsessed. I would pick her up constantly, put her on my neck, put her in things. You know, she was an indoor-outdoor cat, so she was always around us. Um, yeah, I don't know. She was a great childhood pet, like also like ferocious when she needed to be at the vet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we were proud of her. Um, well, that's great that she had a relationship with a cat because a lot of people, cats are not really social. Yeah, no, she was a good cat for sure. Um, and she lived to be 19. Uh -huh. and wow. she overlapped with our family's dog, Shaggy. <laughs> He's my baby. Um, 
Yes, I've seen Lauren Shaggy. <laughs> and maybe Shaggy's carry him. I also carry him around. Um, unlike other dogs or cats, he doesn't try to get down when I pick him up. And he actually looks for me to pick him up when I go home. Oh, nice. My family would probably deny, but I'm telling you, he looks at me like, are you going to pick me up? And then I do. <laughs> so he's my baby. That's awesome. Um, when we got him, Misty was more, you know, in the basement or whatever, but she would still come around and then she died, you know. Yeah. A few years after getting Shaggy, so that's my family pet. I love animals. I like cats and dogs. I, th- I mean, people always ask. Dogs are so fun because they greet you, mm-hmm. and they're so lovable. But I did really like my cat at the same time, and they're so easy. Mm. You know, we would just leave her at home with food mm-hmm. for a weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You don't make a weekend. They, yeah, they can just be self-sufficient, so that's very easy. That's a plus, yeah. And it's much less work. I mean, I couldn't get a pet now either, Henry, because of my work schedule and and everything. I couldn't take care of it. Mm. So, yeah. Growing up, I my uh, I did not live on a farm, but it was almost three acres, and my dad wanted to make it into a farm. So at one point, we had a goat. We had uh, we had about up to fifty chickens at one time. We had rabbits. We started out with two. We thought they were both female, and then we had seventeen. There you go. Very quickly. <laughs> and uh, that was interesting watching that process uh, take place <laughs> in part because I didn't realize that rabbits, uh, I guess when they're, I don't know if they're nutritionally deficient, but but rabbit moms will eat their children. No way. Yeah, it was really disgusting. I did not know that. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, so, so some, didn't make, some of them didn't make it until they got, I guess, a little stronger and then they started having litters of five or six. And they, oh, gosh, the bun, little bunnies are the cutest things in the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. And we did have a dog too, a dog named Jesse. It was a big old Jack Russell mix, which is a great, fun little small thing. And uh, also the runt of the litter. <laughs> Would you ever get a pet now? No. That's a hard no. <laughs> really? Why you is don't that? want one or it's not practical for your life? Uh, I don't want one. Well, why is that, Father Joseph? Because, um, I, in part because I want to have that, be, that freedom to be able to do what the ministry calls me to. And, you know, my life is, is completely full with wonderful people. I don't, I don't have any need for more companionship. When I go home, I just want to be by myself. I don't even want a dog around to yeah. hang out with. Well, your days are very full. They're very full, yeah. And they're full with, pe- full with people. Like, I just want, like, solitude sometimes. And you would never be someone who would baby your pet, I would imagine. No. What you're telling would... me, which is kind of what the culture is today. Yeah, very you know, much so. You know, pets are like children. Yes, Definitely. <laughs> I I always cringe when I see that bumper sticker. My children have four paws. Oh, me like, too. If that's the case, you need to take them to the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> if your children have four. Like get that looked at. <laughs> I know that's one of my pet peeves. No fun. In, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's just strange, right? It's like we're called to be mothers and fathers, of course, but there's a reluctancy now. I think in a lot of cases to have actual children, like just these long, um, whether it's cohabitating relationships or even marriages where people think that children are a burden or I even heard someone tell me like, I'm not so vain that I need to have my own kid. And I'm like, that's vanity. That's that's not what that is. You know, that's giving of yourself and sacrifice and love of another. You know what I mean? So it seems like the opposite of vanity to me. Yeah. But it's (laughs) like the, the vanity of like, I need to have a kid. Like I need to reproduce you know, because I'm so great. Yeah. Right. But um, <laughs> I think that's what society is kind of I don't warped. I don't yeah. think that's going through any parent's mind. Like, I but need to once make the an kid is there, 
Well, this is, I think the culture is saying, don't have kids, right? right? That's not going to lead you to happiness. Yeah. Um, but what we end up seeing is people have pets who they treat like children. Yes, we do. Definitely. Well, my brother's in that boat. You know, he's been married uh, over 10 years now, I guess uh, 11 or 12 years. And he's, he and his wife have chosen not to have kids. Really? But maybe four or five years ago, they got a dog, Okay. this big black, I, I don't, it's not a lab, it's some other type of dog. And, and, um, you know, we would, we would, my parents would invite my brother over for dinner. And he's like, well, I have to bring you Inu. I'm like, no, no, you don't. You don't have to bring Inu. Well, yeah, we do. He's part of the family. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, no, he's not part of your family. Yeah. But that was the view. It's this sur- surrogate kid. Right. Yeah. It takes a lot less effort. Yeah. I do think, I think most people, they do have some sort of, some sort of whole, I don't know, whole is the right word. Some kind of longing in their, in their lives to take care for something else or to lay down their life for something else. And I do think for, for a lot of people, especially those who are called to marriage and those who end up um, being open to life and being blessed with children, that fills that hole in their life. They're, you know, they're, they're, they feel like they're called, they want to lay down their lives for something else. And that then they're given the chance to do that for their kids because when their kids are born, they're completely helpless and they're completely responsible for the well-being of their children. But I think for, for a lot of people, it's like they they still have that longing because that's part of human nature, but they don't have the appreciation for the responsibility that would be involved in, uh, in bringing life into the world and looking after it. So it's almost like they take a shortcut or they, they, yeah. they, they adopt a pet into their life to try to fill that hole or fill that void. And um, for some people, you know, maybe, maybe they do, I don't know. I, I can't really speak from experience because I don't have any of my own children, nor do I have my own pets. But just my perception is people do find a lot of fulfillment in those relationships with their pets. And I've also seen firsthand in, in family members and, and people in my life that, for instance, when their pet dies, say they have, they have a dog that they're really close to and that dog lasts 10 or 15 years. And then inevitably that dog is going to die because dogs just don't live as long as humans do on average. It's, it's a very devastating thing in their life. And it takes them maybe a couple of years to recover from that. Um, and I always just think to myself, let's say, you know, let's say you knew, let's say you knew you were going to have a kid or so, let's say you had a kid knowing that that kid was only going to make it 10 or 15 years. Would you still do that? And I think hopefully a lot of people still would, but I don't think it's natural that people, people um, have to go through the loss of their child. You know, if you, if you talk to anybody who's ever gone through that, they'll say it's like, one of the most difficult things you can possibly go through in the human experience is to to experience the death of your own child. So if if your child psychologically is a pet, it's like you're signing up for that, knowing that's ahead of time that that's probably going to happen. It just seems like you're setting yourself up for this this horribly difficult journey. Um, yeah. Which I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people would still say it's worth it for the companionship and the fulfillment that they get from having that in their life. But I th- I just think it's something to be aware of. But, you know, your relationship with animals, you know, having grown up on a farm probably mm-hmm. is very different than most people's. So, like, even even the dogs that you had, and so, I mean, certainly the cats that lived out, outdoors mm-hmm. that you didn't get emotionally terribly attached to I mean, the cats, yeah, right? Right. Well, we did, I we mean, did, but, cute, it, but it was different. Like, like I know for my parents, like for instance, especially my dad, my dad really has a, soft, has a soft spot for dogs. He's always had a couple of dogs that he's been really close to. But that's not anywhere near the same level of intimacy that he shares with his kids because he, he actually does have he has four of his own kids and his life is ordered. I think in, in my opinion, it's well ordered so that his kids do take that place of, um, yeah. you know, they, they are the apple of his eye. They, they, yeah, they keep things in perspective and they are, 
they and his wife are the things that are most important to him. And so he, it's not like he has this relationship with his dogs or with his cats that's disordered to where he's doting upon them as if they were his kids because he does have his own kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true. That's certainly true. I, I mean, I, you know, growing up on the farm, you learned, I mean, not the, not our farm, you know, it was just that kind of little backyard farm, but you learn, yeah, you learn not to get too close to animals because they're meant to serve us. Right. And, you know, I, I asked my mom, what's for dinner tonight? Oh, Roy, the chicken. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I think it got to the point where we started naming our chicken fried and baked and <laughs> sauteed. Yeah. <laughs> That's for dinner, baked, baked chicken. It got bad. <laughs> <laughs> but now, nevertheless, at the same time, pets really do reveal to us, you know, an aspect of God's love and God's yeah. providence. And so like, what, what have you seen from your own experience with your animals that kind of reveals God to you? Ah, that's a good question. I'd say... I mean, especially with, I think a lot of people feel this with dogs and I would say I felt this too. I mean, dogs just have this, this purity of their essence. Like they, they want nothing more than to be with and to please their master. Mm. And I think a lot of people um, don't have that kind of relationship with another person in their life. So when- So I wonder if that's why sometimes people choose pets over kids is it's just a simpler relationship. Yeah, it and is. There's, there's no complications of yeah. human, you know, the chance that you're- dog's going to betray you and never speak to you again. Yeah. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Right. Because most dogs are very, very loyal and very focused on their master. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which does show us a lot about God's faithfulness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think, I don't know, pets are such a great gift. They give so much joy, play, you know, I mean, even just for kids growing up, it's, I imagine most children want a pet, right? Like my brother and I did, and we had one Christmas where we were like really, you know, hoping to get a dog. And uh, my dad kind of built it up as if we were going to get a pet. And that Christmas came and went. That was before Misty. And we're like, what about the dog? And my dad's like, Tamagotchi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, another 90s reference. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was a kid in the 90s. So we were like, really? So there was no pet, but uh, at that time, and then, like I said, Misty kind of fell into our laps right after that because of the circumstances, but they weren't going to get us a pet, but so many children long for it. And then it's, you know, like an addition to your family, a sense of responsibility. I have another pet story, actually. When I was nine, uh, Misty's, her food and everything was in the basement and I was asked to go feed her and it was like late, you know. I don't know, maybe eight or something. So I was tired. So I went down the steps and I kind of sat down and I opened up her wet food can, the lid. I fed her. I kind of leaned forward. I fed her. I left. I walked to the next room and I felt a tingling down my leg and I had cut my leg open with the lid of the cat food can. Ooh. (laughs) Ouch. So sorry for anyone who's squeamish, but I was bleeding. You know, calls for my dad. He runs down the steps. He has to run back up, get paper towels and stuff like that. He does this whole big wrap bandage thing. I ended up getting only nine stitches. Nine stitches. Um, it wasn't enough because it continued cut. to bleed for like the next two days. And I couldn't even go to school. Like I couldn't move too much because it was bleeding through oh the bandages. <laughs> Gosh. Holy cow, it was a cut of an yeah, artery so or something I, down there. Yeah, no, it's like a large scar. It is very prominent. People point it out to me all the time. What is that? I'm like, oh, that's Shark from attack. Uh, you know, gotta make yeah, a good story. Cat food can. And they're always like, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't Those know. Things are vicious. I kind of got on a tangent story there, but 
you know, it is like that sense of responsibility, right? Of taking care of something else. That's and true. You can grow in virtue that way. It, exactly. Yeah. You have to walk it. You have to feed it. You have to yeah. clean up its poop, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that pets have taught me is that uh, there's a way in which the world works and just kind of the, the idea of natural law. Like mm-hmm. My first pet was a caterpillar. I, I had this thing about caterpillars. I loved them, loved them. when I was five years old. And so I had this, this green caterpillar and I I'm not even, well, I, I, I'm so embarrassed by the name. I called it Lovey. That's so <laughs> Lovey cute. Caterpillar. That's very cute. But I think, you know, I was five years old and, and, and I had it in the little cage and everything. And, and I remember thinking, oh, this poor thing, you know, it's eating all this grass and leaves, but it's not drinking any water. It must be really so thirsty. So I took it out and I stuck it in a bucket of water. <laughs> and I waited like five minutes and I took it out and it was dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember, I mean, remember like bawling my eyes out because I love that Aww. little thing. But it taught me an important lesson. Like there's a way in which things work, right? You know, and you have to, you have to, uh, when you see nature, you kind of have to bow to nature and recognize, like, I'm not the master of nature. Yeah, that's you know, definitely. God has set this order in creation, and it's it's cool too. My sister used to uh, hatch eggs in an incubator, and it's just awesome watching the the nature take its course and see like how God miraculously, you know, brings forth these creatures out of these round objects. It's like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm sure when you probably saw a calf being born. Oh yeah. That must be incredible. Yeah, it was it was a very cool experience. You know, it was it was always so exciting to to go out and ride through the pastures during calving season and you know, during the peak of calving season sometimes there'd be four or five new calves. Oh my god. And uh, you know, so, all, so all you didn't problems. have to like help like they they do the birthing on their own, you know. Usually like, they would usually they would be able to give birth on their own, but I'd say probably one in every 20 times, so probably like 5% of the time. Uh, you would have to assist with the birth. And that was always a very harrowing experience because we would usually have to run the cow as she was giving birth into the barn. And then we would have to put her in the head gate and assist, you know, help help her pull the calf out. Ooh. And sometimes it was successful. Sometimes she just needed a little bit of help. Sometimes it was complicated and we would lose the calf or we'd lose the cow or we'd lose both or one or the other. Oh. So, um, yeah, it was very stressful. I mean, it's like obviously very painful for the, for the calf as she's trying to give, for the cow as she's trying to give birth. So um, just another another great, great example of how how delicate and powerful the process of um, of bringing life into the world is. Yeah, yeah, it makes you realize the fragility of life in a very real way. Yeah, and another point you were you were getting at too is um, just the natural order of things. I think that's that's something I feel like I have a very deep appreciation for having grown up on the farm as well because. Um, uh, what's the? I mean, what's the, what's the biggest thing that determines how successful a farmer is going to be? It's the weather, and the weather is completely out of control of, yeah. of people. I mean, you you can do your best, you can work hard, you can you can keep up with the latest technology and innovate as much as you can, but ultimately, there's nothing you can do to control the weather. You can't make it rain. No, you cannot make it rain. No. You can build an irrigation system to make the best use of the water you have, but you cannot make it rain. So that's that's just a it's a lesson that. That farmers learn over and over again. Like I see my dad, I talk to my dad on the phone sometimes and he's like, man, we haven't gotten rain in like two months and we just really need some rain. And it would really make my day if we could get some rain. It's just, he's, he, he's so deeply affected by the weather in a way that most people who aren't dependent upon the land are not really dependent upon the weather. Yeah. And so yeah, it just makes me appreciate uh, the, the powerful forces of nature that are, that are there for us to enjoy and uh, there for us to be stewards of, but not there for us to completely control. Yeah, yeah, you have to be humble in the right. sight of nature. Yeah, that's the truth. That's you know, I was I was a Boy Scout as well, and that was uh, something you learned really quickly is to be totally humble in the face of nature. Like if you go into camping and you're 
prepared for anything. You're not boasting like, ah, I got this. I don't need to wear extra long johns or whatever. You're going to get out okay. You know, it's, it's when you think that you don't need all that extra gear or you think you can master this. And you kind of get injured or sick yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So speaking of nature on, on the whole, I know that our world is very uh, tending towards green politics and green ide- ideology, you know, kind of this idea of like, climate change being a big issue. What do you guys think about climate change? Is that, is that a thing? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's clear that, <clears throat> that the earth definitely does go through very long cycles of warming and cooling. And I think the last ice age ended about 10,000 years ago. So I think the earth has been gradually warming since then. And it also, it also makes sense to me that, I mean, the, the earth's population has grown so exponentially in the last couple hundred years. Um, and we've started burning, uh, carbon that we've pulled out of the ground at such a such a huge rate, really all in the last 200 years, two or 300 years or so. Like it makes sense to me that that would have some kind of effect on the earth's climate. But I don't think we can really definitively say that it's the only driver of climate change. And I think there's a lot of hubris, uh, just, just a lot of arrogance in the uh, in the climate change dialogue that we have in our in our mainstream culture today to where people people will definitively claim that like if we don't stop burning coal or stop burning petroleum by 2030 then Miami's going to go underwater or like uh, <laughs> or like you know 100 million people are going to be flooded out and you know if you look back people have been making claims like that since like the 1970s or oh yeah people yeah the world was going to end by 2020 said, and, yeah exactly people like, have said that by the year 2010 Miami's no longer going to be above water and um I, I, so I think there is a lot of extreme ideology and, and yeah, rhetoric. There, there is a lot, and I think a lot of it is um, people are people are easier to control when they're afraid of things, and so there are people and there are systems in place that are trying to control the decisions that people make. And one of the most effective ways to garner that control and power and influence is to make people scared, yeah, and make people afraid. So. Well, that was so. a big impact even in my own life because I went to public school for the first three years uh, of my schooling. And and I remember coming home one day, I don't remember this, but my mom tells me that I came home one day and said, mom, my teacher said you can't have any more kids because the world is overpopulated. <laughs> and that was when I left public school, went to Catholic school Goodness, the very next so, year. Just and the audacity of you know a public school trying to step in between uh, a child and their parent and trying to Oh yeah, that was pushed so hard. This overpopulation myth back in the ni- mid '90s that you know the world is going to explode, and you know, well, here, here we are, 25 years later, and we're actually still still hanging in there. Yeah. Although interestingly enough, we are seeing a demographic decline now. Oh yeah, and especially you know, in the Western world. And something something that's also interesting is I think yes, there is evidence to support that the Earth has gotten slightly warmer, um, but at the same time, I think the if you look at the total number of deaths caused by natural disasters. When you adjust it for population growth, it's down like 90 or 95% over the last 100 years. And the reason for that is because we develop so much better infrastructure for flooding, mm. for transportation, and we're so much better at measuring and predicting the weather. So like when a hurricane comes to hit Florida, we're, we know three days in advance and we're competent enough to be able to evacuate all the people that are going to be in the way. Right. And that's why you see like, for instance, with the with the tsunami that happened in Thailand in 2003. 2004, I think, 2003. Yeah, yeah. So many people died. You know, so many more people died in that in that instance than probably would have died had that happened in a developed country like the United States. Is because they just didn't have the infrastructure in place to be able to respond in a timely manner. So, yeah. so many more people died 
than would have really needed to. But um, I just, yeah, I just think it's it's important to to be humanistic in the approach that we take. We shouldn't we shouldn't be we, we shouldn't be prideful and think that we can do anything without affecting the climate of the earth, but we also shouldn't sacrifice the well-being of our human race just because we think we are going to lead to destruction if we don't. I think we have to find that balance. Yeah, definitely. Lauren, any thoughts? Yeah, my thought is don't trust what politicians say. <laughs> because I think Henry's spot on and using fear and it's about control and... Um, passing initiatives that certain people want passed, right? Um, they're making a claim that we need to do this for the sake of our country and the world, but I think people are definitely benefiting from these initiatives that they're putting in place and they're hurting the nation in terms of going into more debt, right, and people losing jobs and things like that. Or out in California, they've made a claim about electric vehicles, mm -hmm. you know, right. uh, but their own electrical grid could not support <laughs> the power to... Right use these vehicles. It makes no sense. They already have a ton of problems out in California. Um, and then recently too, with the last hurricane, I believe it was reported that hurricanes are intensifying. Well, um, yeah. So at, when that is not the case at all. Yeah. So false claims that, you know, are spreading fear, like you're saying. Right. Well, so th the research I've seen actually suggests that um, on like the, the average intensity of a hurricane has increased by about 5%. But the only reason that's the case is because the overall frequency of hurricanes has decreased by about 25%. And so... Um, yeah, I think we only had I mean, one really significant one this year. Yeah. It's Hurricane Ian. Right. So. And so because, because there are fewer hurricanes, uh, there tend to be fewer hurricanes from the, from the less intense side of the spectrum. So it shifts the average intensity upwards, even though the overall frequency of hurricanes is decreasing. Huh. That's interesting. Never, never knew that. Wow. So... Real quick, just at the very end, what can we as young adults do then to to care for the earth in a healthy way? Because I do think we have that responsibility. And, you know, Pope Francis recently, not that recently, I guess, put out his encyclical Laudato Si on the environment, which, I mean, it is a Catholic a piece of Catholic social teaching that we should care for the environment. So what can young adults do to, to help that, to make a difference? Hmm, I think that's hard. I'm generally very disappointed in how humanity has, is treating the, the earth, especially when you see... Uh, like Pope Francis' claims and the documentaries that show you the giant landfills of all this discarded technology mm. and pollution that's everywhere. Um, and I feel helpless in that. And, you know, Father Suarez is telling me that our country doesn't recycle anymore. I don't know if this is the claim or not. We're still sorting, but we're not actually doing anything. I've heard that. Yeah, so, heard most, that too. <laughs> most recycling is just I've heard that trashed. most of our recycling gets sent to China and to... But I don't think we send it to China anymore. Yeah, I think they stopped taking it sometime in the last couple of years. Yeah, so I don't know what we can do. It's disheartening to me. Well, I think that's one of the biggest things is that we live in a very disposable culture. Right. So why why am I buying water bottles when we have perfectly good water and I can fill up a pitcher? Yeah, right. so true. Yeah. My phone's from 2016, so... Yeah, I got you beat. Mine's 2012. <laughs> you won't go to a smartphone, but... I will not go to a smartphone. <laughs> wow. 20, so, 20, this a, is only my second smartphone. Phone, not Never. A smartphone. Never get a smartphone, no. Wow. That's really... That's I'm doing good for pretty, most that's people. significant. Yeah. That is, yeah. Still running 3G? No, I think it's... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Because <laughs> my phone's shutting down in December because... It, well, oh, really? So you're going to have to get a different I, phone? Got to get a different, different flip phone. <laughs> you said yours is from 2012? <laughs> yeah. So basically 10 years. They're 10 years, like an antique... Huh. Almost officially. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one way we're helping the environment. That's true. Well, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I think um, 
it, yeah, it's it's tough, especially living in an urban environment where you know you and I live in Stanford, Lauren, and you live in Monroe. So you're you're probably a little closer to nature and where you live, Father Joseph. But, Definitely, yeah. But you know, like Lauren and I are in Stanford and we live in apartments, and so um, kind of like I was getting at earlier, that's one thing I really miss about where I grew up is I just don't feel as closely linked to nature anymore. So I love to just go, you know, maybe like one or two weekends a month. I love to just go on a hike somewhere in a rural area and get some sunshine and uh, take in the beauty of nature. And um, in, addition, in addition to that, I think one of the biggest ways we can be conscientious of the environment is through the things that we purchase. Uh, you know, like it takes so much energy and material input to buy a new car. And this is not to say that it's necessarily immoral to buy a new car, but if we don't really need one, we can save a ton of energy and material inputs by buying a used car. Or yeah, just not buy, not upgrading our phone every year like like a lot of people do. Or um, yeah, or even just like I really think we should. Um, I really think we should be careful of the foods that we eat because there's so many um, you know not nutritious processed foods out there that cause people a lot of sickness. And I think it's better for the environment and better for ourselves if we try to source our foods more locally or or eat more. Yeah, uh, and just not waste food. Definitely, a third not of food, food is wasted in America. That's wow, terrible. That's crazy. Yeah, crazy. I know. Wow. Yeah, but there's lots of practical ways in which we as young adults can yeah. really try to help the environment, which is a very Catholic principle. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure about recycling. I know I've heard, I've heard of, my my worry with recycling is that um, it gets in our head that oh I can just buy all this packaging because I can recycle it and I'll feel fine. Like it's it's a net zero yeah, thing if I no. just buy all this disposable <laughs> stuff. And then if it's not actually recycled or if it takes so much energy to recycle it that it's not really worthwhile to do so, mm-hmm. then maybe people end up buying more disposable stuff than they would otherwise. And it's a net uh, detriment to the environment. Yeah. So yeah. I think in, in general, just try to not buy disposable stuff. Try to buy quality stuff that will last you a long time. Try to minimize the packaging that you use. Yep. Um, yeah, just be, be conscientious of things like that. And I think the world is kind of waking up a little bit to that reality. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much. We've run out of time, but uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of Restless. The challenge is to go and make a difference in your own neighborhood. Maybe it's take a walk in nature. Maybe it's to uh, to recycle or to uh, to use again rather than throw away things that we could reuse. But the truth is that uh, being a true Catholic means taking care of this great gift that God has given us while also not glorifying it above the needs of humanity. So you can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 103.9 FM and 1350 AM, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.